From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. It's been three and a half months since Hurricane Ian made landfall near Sanibel Island and swept across the state, causing an estimated 50 to $65 billion in insured damages and killing more than 100 people just here in Florida. While many people moved quickly to seek assistance from the Federal Emergency Management Agency after the storm hit, for anyone who has still not filed a claim, the deadline is tomorrow, Thursday, January 12th. Homeowners and renters have until 11.59 tomorrow night to file a claim for property loss or damage to property from Hurricane Ian. The deadline for businesses to return economic injury applications to the U.S. Small Business Administration, or SBA, is June 29th. In an effort to get the details out one last time for anyone who has waited to apply, we spoke yesterday with Keith Denning. He's a Deputy Federal Coordinating Officer with FEMA. We spoke with him yesterday afternoon. Let's hear that conversation now. Keith Denning is a Deputy Federal Coordinating Officer with FEMA. Mr. Denning, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thanks very much. And I'm also joined in studio by WGCU's investigative reporter Eileen Kelly. Eileen, thanks for sitting in today. It's good to be here, and thank you, Mr. Denning, for taking the time for us. Uh, Mr. Denning, for starters, can you just describe the role that you play in a situation like Hurricane Ian and the recovery efforts? I am uh, one of a team of federal coordinating officers that has helped to helping to uh, run the operation here in Florida. So the deadline to apply for assistance is tomorrow. Who exactly does that apply to? Is that just individuals who suffered property loss or physical damage from the storm? That, yes, that applies to individuals and households who may, may have been affected and uh, would need assistance from us. We hope that everyone has uh, registered already, but sometimes uh, people's situation changes, and as the deadline approaches, they realize that they may need some assistance, uh, particularly maybe with with housing or to make some repairs to their home so that they can live in their home. Is the uh, deadline uh, tomorrow like at, f- or at 5 or at the end of the day? Uh, is, there, is there a specific like moment when the deadline occurs? Yeah, it's at 11.59. It, it runs all, all day on the 12th. And once the clock strikes uh, for the 13th, we, uh, the, the, the deadline has, has passed us by. Understood. Uh, just to be clear, though, for business owners who have uh, economic injury to their businesses, that's a different deadline, right? That's not till June 29th, I understand? I believe so, yes. The SBA business uh, business deadline is, is different. For uh, homeowners, I believe it may not be. You'd have to check with the SBA, but um, uh, I believe you're correct on the first, first piece. Yes. And um, I understand you um, have people going door to door to let residents know about the deadline. So you guys are doing outreach beyond just, you know, talking to the media? Yes, our disaster survivor assistance teams have been canvassing neighborhoods since uh, very early on in the operation. And uh, and they're continuing to do so and being being uh, available in those neighborhoods. And we understand also uh, the state and local jurisdictions have been have been adding to that effort, too, in the last week. So uh, the one thing that seems to really crop up a lot during this process, and this is not our first hurricane, so we've kind of seen this before, but can you explain, you know, the main question is, is if somebody's claim is initially rejected, that's not necessarily the end of the road for possible assistance. Can you kind of explain the why behind that and sort of how that system weaves its way through? You're, you're exactly right. And, and uh, the, the process is as follows. Uh, we, we, of course, encourage everyone who is able to to be insured. Insurance is your first line of defense when, uh, when you've uh, gone, gone through a disaster. 
and we encourage everyone to have the insurance that will that will properly cover them as they uh, if they do suffer these these types of losses. Um, and the the determination letter that you receive after you have registered and provided the documentation that we ask for uh, sometimes says that you have been denied in the very the very first part of the letter. You have to read that entire letter because quite often we're just asking you for some further documentation. You may have uh, informed us that you are insured. We'd like to see uh, a copy of, of, of that policy to see what type of coverage that you have. You, you may, may need to provide uh, some further proof of, of residency that you resided at that, that damaged address. And it's very much easier for, for you to provide that information to us these days than, than in the past. So uh, you have to read the whole letter. And, and don't give up. Provide us with what you need. And if you have any questions, just call us so that we can answer those questions and you can, you can provide us that documentation or answer those questions. You can call us. You can go to a disaster recovery center. We have, I believe, uh, 22 open around the state right now and a couple others that we're opening in some areas again this week. Uh, so there are many ways that you can provide us with that information. Don't give up. Call us. Tell us what you need. If we can provide it for you, we certainly will do that. So that's that's really the basis behind that, and that's unfortunately one of the big uh, issues that we that we run into and need to make sure that everybody everybody understands. And then also, um, you, you may receive assistance, and then uh, you're required to apply for a home loan with the uh, with the the um, Small Business Administration. They have a great program, their disaster loan program, and that's that second piece of assistance after after you receive uh, FEMA assistance. If you are qualified, you, you you take out that loan if you if you want to do so, and that's for uncompensated damages. You could be underinsured, um, but if you are not qualified for that loan, and you're denied that loan you're then referred back to FEMA for some further assistance. So it, it, it is a process. You need to need to stay with it. And again, call us with any questions. Go to a disaster recovery center if you have any questions and let us know what you need. I think that's one thing people misunderstand is that just because it's called the Small Business Administration doesn't mean you have to be a business to do that. Uh, so it's important that people take that step in case it will then be referred back to FEMA. Is that accurate? That is exactly accurate, and uh, and the Small Business Administration is our biggest partner when it comes to uh, uh, personal recovery, and they have provided $1.29 billion in loans to homeowners so far just for this operation. Um, the disaster recovery centers that are still open, will they remain open longer than the deadline? Yes, they certainly will. They will be open for quite some time until uh, until it's agreed with the state that they need to close in some areas they don't get as much business so we may consolidate some of those but uh, but they will stay open for, for for quite a long time one thing that i read um, in preparing for this was that if you are in the process of applying that people should be more receptive to phone calls from numbers they don't recognize than normal because it might be you guys is that is that a good way to put it that's entirely possible, yes, and that is again another challenge that we uh, that we run into is that we are we're calling you for uh, for information, uh, we're calling to provide you with information, and we may be calling you about your housing needs, and uh, and to to see if you qualify for one of those programs. So uh, please answer your phone. I understand that we all don't want to answer 
answer calls from unknown numbers, but it's quite possible it could be someone from FEMA trying to get in touch with you to to uh, help with your case. So when somebody files a claim, do they have to then see a disaster survivor assistance specialist in person before that claim can be moved forward? No, they do not. They can they can apply online at disasterassistance.gov. They can apply through our FEMA app, and they could also call us at 800-621-3362. And that entire process could actually be handled online because you're given an online account, and you can upload, if we ask you for documents, you can upload those documents in your online case. So, uh, no, it, 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 you do not have to see someone in person to be able to re- receive assistance. You know, I know that you do have uh, people who are out visiting homes and, and places that have been damaged. What sort of makes that necessary for somebody from FEMA to go out and actually physically look at a location? If you're talking about an inspection, once you register, we have inspectors who go out to the address and look outside uh, and to, to, uh, to see what the damage is to those areas that, FEMA, uh, that, that, are, um, that fall under the FEMA assistance programs. So we do have inspectors that come out to your to your address. They should they're supposed to call ahead of time. They have proper identification and uh, give you the chance to actually be there when they're doing the inspection. They will uh, they will should not go into your house. It should only be an outside inspection. We just need to see what some of the damages are, so that then we can determine what part of that house was affected, and we can uh, we can determine what assistance you're gonna you can receive based on that. Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people who are going through this process? Because I personally know some people who have felt like they've really gotten kind of lost in the system where they like they their password needs to be reset or the they upload documents but then are told they still need to upload documents. I mean, is that a is that a systemic problem or is that just, you know, sometimes the system just doesn't work as planned? It's entirely possible that we have uh, some some glitches in in the software, that type of thing. Uh, sometimes it's technological challenges, and that's why we offer a number of different ways to be able to provide assistance. One of those, again, to do so in person at a disaster recovery center or to call us. And uh, so uh, that, that quite often is, is the, uh, the issue, and we try to make sure that we can overcome them as, as, as much as possible and, uh, and provide whatever assistance is available to them. Can you explain how whether someone has homeowner's insurance or flood insurance affects the, the application process? Yes. Um, you know, we operate under laws and regulations, uh, and the, uh, the Stafford Act, which governs the assistance that we give, uh, clearly states that we cannot duplicate benefits. So, again, your insurance comes first, and that is something that we need to understand. Insurance is there for a reason. And uh, we cannot duplicate those benefits. That's why we ask to ask for, for what type of insurance coverage that you have. And if there is some immediate needs uh, to make some repairs to your home, to stay in your home, which is what we want you to be able to do, we can provide things like that. We can provide some rental assistance if you don't have, if your insurance coverage does not cover that, that uh, those living expenses for you to go and rent a home while your home's being repaired or go stay in a hotel. We provide rental assistance for that, and, and that assistance can continue on for quite some time if you come back to us and say, state that you have a further need. So the insurance comes first, and, uh, and, and that it, it's very, very important for people to understand that um, what we can do under the law 
will not rebuild your home and replace all of your belongings. It is it, You need to have insurance. And Mr. Denny, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you in terms of what are you finding that most people just don't understand about FEMA? I, I get the sense that people think that FEMA is the come in and, you know, rebuild for you to, to take care of everything just because of your outreach makes it seem like we're here for you, we'll help in any way we can. And then people are turning to us saying, I'm denied. And, and you know, then I have questions of, well, what about your insurance? Or do you have insurance? Or do you have renter's insurance? So do you think most people aren't aware that insurance comes first? I think that's quite possible. Okay. Uh, I believe that in some areas you have large numbers of homeowners who, uh, who live in a home that may be subject to uh, flood risk and, and have uh, paid off their mortgage and have decided that they do not need flood insurance. And we're seeing that quite a bit, and there are some statistics out there about that. We encourage everyone to evaluate the risk at their home and have the proper insurance coverage, not only the regular homeowner's insurance that would cover wind from a hurricane, but that flood insurance if they believe that they are subject to that. And, uh, and we, we've seen that quite, quite a bit here. Um, we're, you know, in addition to, to urging people to, to have that insurance, um, it's, it, it's up to everyone to understand what, what exactly that, that FEMA can do for you. And, and our, our words are this. We want you to have a safe, sanitary, and secure home. If we can provide a little bit of money to make some, some repairs to your home to, to, so that you can live in part of your home while you're rebuilding the rest, uh, to put you in a hotel or in, a, in another house to rent for a period of time while you're, while you're rebuilding, that is what we can do. We'll walk you through those early parts of your recovery as you start to pick up the pieces and, and rebuild your home or find another another place for your permanent housing solution. So that's what we can do, and uh, and, and and we 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 cannot replace your insurance policy. Are you finding by chance? I mean, do you happen to have any idea if of, of the preponderance of people that completely lost their homes out on the Barrier Island, say Fort Myers Beach? Do you have any anecdotal evidence that people were very underinsured or n- no longer insured because um, of the age of their home, and that there was no mortgage? And so, therefore, they might be turning to FEMA? I, I, yeah, I personally don't have any, any uh, anecdotal evidence there. I, I know that we have uh, the number of maximum grants that we have uh, given out here in, in Florida is, is, is a little bit larger than other operations. So that indicates there that, uh, that there is an issue. But uh, I don't have any anecdotal evidence as far as how many are insured. In terms of maximum grants, in terms of what was already approved, so you've already hit that threshold, you're saying? There is, there is a maximum dollar amount which we can provide uh, under, under the law, again. And the number of households that have received that maximum grant is a little higher than normal. Do you know what that maximum number is? Uh, for the dollar amount, yeah, the dollar amount is is thirty seven thousand nine hundred dollars, I believe, and the number of maximum grants that we have provided, and I'll just give you a figure for Lee County. Uh, just give me a second here. Is uh, one thousand nine hundred and seventy two for Lee County alone? Have received the maximum grant. Have received the maximum amount uh, for for housing assistance. 
I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Keith Denning is a Deputy Federal Coordinating Officer with FEMA. Tomorrow, January 12th, is the deadline for homeowners and renters to apply for federal assistance for damages caused by Hurricane Ian. If you'd like to engage with the show, just do so on social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. So how much temporary housing is FEMA still providing in eligible counties? And bear in mind, we broadcast to about 12 counties, all of which are affected counties. Well, certainly. I can tell you that um, in total across the state, we've provided $121 million in rental assistance. In uh, in Lee County, that uh, that has been 50, over $52 million. Uh, in Charlotte County, we are at $8 million that we have provided in rental assistance. Um, Collier is 11 million, over $11 million. So we have provided a lot of rental assistance to survivors, to ha- individuals and households out there to, uh, to be able to find their own location that they want to rent for a period of time. And once that, they have spent those funds, they can come back to us for continued rental assistance also. Uh, so that's, that's quite a bit of money compared to, to other disasters. What is the status of uh, trailers for people who need them? I know that the process has been moving forward. I talked to somebody with FEMA who was about on your level, you know, maybe two weeks after the storm, and she seemed to think it would be a matter of months. Um, Where are we at with trailers? Are there some in place? Yes, there are. There are. And that's our direct housing program. And there are a number of different options in our direct housing program. We will, um, uh, in addition to the rental that that we've already spoken about, the rental assistance, but our direct housing program starts with uh, with uh, direct lease, where we find blocks of apartments or, or individual homes, and we have agreements with the landlords to lease uh, survivors, individuals, and households into into those units. We also help what's called multifamily lease and repair, and we could find an apartment building that needs repair, and we pay for that that building to be repaired, and then we place. Uh, we place our applicants into into those units. And then finally, we do have temporary transportable housing units that could come in the form of travel trailers or mobile homes. And we are currently engaged in that program. We have uh, 74 individuals and, and uh, 74 households that have been licensed into uh, those units so far. And we are, uh, we are expanding that program. In that program, we will place a... Uh, we will place a, 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 a transportable uh, housing unit onto a private property. We will do so. Uh, we'll place them in commercial uh, RV or mobile home parks, which we're, we're doing, starting to do quite a bit in this area. And then we'll also possibly build what we call group sites, which is our own park that we build on a site that we found. And, uh, and we will put our own units in there and place, uh, place individuals and households into those units. So we are, uh, we are moving forward with that. We've had some challenges uh, that uh, because much of Southwest Florida is a special flood hazard area, and we run into many challenges in placing trailers across those areas. We have met that challenge. Uh, we have looked at, uh, at the policy and regulations, and we are Starting to, um, we are starting to permit uh, travel trailers for the barrier islands and some of the nearby coastal areas that are very vulnerable. Those travel trailers will be available for private property for those uh, families that are eligible 
for a limited period of time. After that time, uh, the, the rest of the direct housing program will be available to those families in the, the form of, of uh, commercial parks or group sites or direct lease uh, apartments or houses. And then in other areas that are not as vulnerable, we'll continue to place uh, mobile homes and travel trailers, uh, again, on private property, commercial, in commercial parks, or some group sites that we will uh, that we will uh, um, assemble ourselves. But uh, we're we're starting to permit uh, units to go into the barrier islands this week. So even though that these are floodplains, they're in flood zones, because earlier earlier this year when um, I was up in Pine Island and a FEMA representative was actually quite a few FEMA folks were there, and at the time they had said that there was one trailer in all of Lee County because of the issues with. Of, of flooding and that the government wasn't going to allow their homes, their, you know, their property to be at risk of being completely gutted because these are temporary and then we'll go on to another family in another storm at another time. So this is, this is all changed. What we've done is we have, uh, we have looked at the, again, the regulatory and policy challenges that, uh, that, uh, that make it difficult for us to do so. And that is why we are using only travel trailers in areas like the Barrier Islands and, and nearby coastal areas that will be completely temporary. They will be available for a limited period of time. And then, uh, and then we will make the other options in our direct housing program available to those families. Okay. We're, we are very concerned, as everyone else is, about the safety and security of not only the residents, but local property. And so we have come up with a way to be able to do this for some time while people are prepare are re- rebuilding their homes. We are encouraging them very strongly to the, while they have these units and they live in those areas that I've just talked about, please, please re- do as much as you can to rebuild your home. And uh, because we're looking at next hurricane season and the threat that, uh, that that entails. And to clarify, these trailers are going to start showing on the Barrier Islands Wednesday, correct? Uh, that's entirely possible. Wednesday of, um, just because no, when, when not tomorrow, I don't think. Okay, I thought you said tomorrow. I just wanted to make sure since we're airing tomorrow, so in the coming days. Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're in the. We have some that are in the permitting process right now, and they should be showing up very soon. Yeah. Um, and just to be clear, when you say travel trailers, you mean more like an RV, something that can be easily moved instead of a mobile home that gets set down on a temporary foundation. Yes, exactly. And that is where we have those, uh, again, those regulatory and policy challenges. Mobile homes are more of a permanent structure. And when you're putting them in a high hazard, uh, special flood hazard area, they have to be elevated. And when you talk about the height that you have to elevate them, they may, that height may even exceed the manufacturer's specifications. So uh, in looking at the Florida, Florida code, Local jurisdictions, ordinances also, we've talked to all the local jurisdictions, and we've all agreed that this is the way to go if we need to provide housing in some of these areas. It's a travel trailer that will, uh, that will be hooked up to all the utilities, will be anchored to a certain, a certain amount, and, uh, and can be quickly removed. So we do not want to, again, contribute to any, any more debris that could happen in a future storm, we want to make sure that the surrounding property is protected. And so that's why we've come up with this program. And, uh, and it's not something that we do all the time, I'll tell you that. 
Can you speak at, at all about any of these mobile home parks that you said that you're going to start having possibly in mass trailers come in that into places that are already mobile home parks? Oh, yes. We have, uh, we have a number, 16 that are licensed in right now on, uh, in commercial parks. And we have, a, uh, that is one of our best uh, possibilities in, in putting families into uh, temporary housing. And that is putting a, a mobile home for, for the most part into a commercial park along with, along with, you know, in agreement with the owner and we lease the pad and, and move the family in. So you, you've seen some of that around the area down in Collier County. There was a story recently about that and we, we took care of that and make sure the electric was hooked up and we're, we're licensing in those families now uh, um, at, 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 at their uh, making appointments with them to do that. So uh, we're doing that, doing that as much as we can. We try to make sure that those options are within a, a reasonable distance uh, of, of the damaged home. And uh, so we try to try to have those commercial parks available in a number of different areas in, in, uh, in Southwest Florida. Can you tell us what, um, what FEMA leases the pads for? No, I don't. I don't have a figure for as far as how much it costs. I mean, is it roughly in the neighborhood of fifteen hundred a pad? The reason. I, 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 go ahead. The reason I'm asking. I've been working on a story um, in Bonita Springs. It's a already established RV mobile home community and um, long time mm-hmm. established. And the residents are all being kicked out. Uh, anyone who was renting. Um, there were 260 plots, about 80 of them are owned individually, and the rest were rented, and new owners came in, and FEMA has been in there, and I have confirmed that through some of uh, FEMA workers that they have been there, they've been surveying the property, and you know, it's, it's not lost on any of us, um, the residents, the former residents, or journalists working on this, that there's a potential of displacing people in the name of you know, helping displaced people. And I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. If FEMA is still looking at that, I, I don't know what the cost is and what we pay. I don't. I I believe it may be different from one park to another, depending on on the age of the park, how many pads are available, that sort of thing. So I don't know what the price is, and I certainly will uh, ask some questions about that that park in particular. I think I've seen that in the yes, news it's myself. A, yes, it's the Gulf Coast Camping Resort, and I have been I've been doing the stories mm-hmm. with my colleague. So I would appreciate that because I, it's important that uh, you know we have an understanding of this and as to what's going on, as to well as to find out um, you know how uh, how other people are going to be helped. So I look forward to working with you on that. Uh, I, I can ask some some questions about that certainly. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Mr. Denning. Before we let you go, um, you know, well, let's just talk real quickly about flood insurance. Uh, can you give us a sense of you know how many claims FEMA's National Flood Insurance Program has has paid out after this storm? Yes, I can. Just give me a second here because I have. There have been uh, 28,087 claims, uh, and 1.73 billion dollars has been has been uh, has been uh, distributed to those 28,087 claimants, and there have been oh just under 46,000 claims that have been submitted so far. So there are some claims that are still open, but 1.73 billion dollars has been paid out to. A little over twenty-eight thousand claimants, and I understand that the uh, the renewal window has been extended for flood insurance policies for affected areas. Uh, yes, it has. Yes, it has. There is a grace period that has been uh, that has been uh, um, uh, issued for for those that need to renew. Yes, and in fact, we uh, we had a program where we went and personally tried to visit 
uh, all of those people that were under renewal in the state of Florida to let them know that there was a grace period. You know, I know this is probably above your pay grade, as they say, but could you imagine a time when the NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program, would stop offering flood insurance in areas that are highly flood prone? That, that is uh, that is above my pay grade. We, we know that there have been revisions to the program, and um, and uh, there there may be changes in the future. But uh, I, I'm I'm really not uh, really not qualified to answer that question. Understood. Um, what would you say? Um, you know, every time there's a disaster, the system works its way through, and hopefully lessons are learned. Are there any lessons being learned on the FEMA side of things because of Hurricane Ian? Yes, we, 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 we're always looking to improve. We're always looking to improve. Uh, I, I think uh, our work as we, uh, as we go through a disaster and watch people and communities rebuild, uh, and, and it, is, it is very important these days, and that is resilience. Consider how you're rebuilding. Consider how personally that you can prepare yourselves and your family for, for the next disaster. And uh, make sure that you know the risk where your home is located and the, the effect that it will have on you and your family. And react accordingly. Take, take precautions. Rebuild your home stronger. And make sure that you're prepared for the next time that it happens. This is going to be a strange question, I think, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Um, you know, when the next disaster hits, because we live in a place where eventually there will be one, what is sort of the perfectly prepared person you know, what do they have if, if, you know, a storm rolls through and they need to start the process with FEMA? Like, what are the things that they should have done beforehand, well before the storm, that would make the process as smooth as possible from FEMA? You can go to our website and be familiar with the, uh, with the process when you register and, and what it is that you will need. So it provides you with all of those things that you'll, documentation that you'll need to provide to us or the information that, we'll, that we will be asking. So uh, that makes the process more smooth. And again, we, we also have information there that talks about that letter that you receive. And please do not, please do not uh, throw that letter away and be discouraged. Just come back to us and tell us what, what that you need. If we can provide it for you, we'll, we will do so. So that's, that's what I would ask people to do is research the process. It is available out there. When there is a disaster, we do press releases also, and you'll see those you'll see that information out there. So uh, understand uh, that, that you should be insured. You should be, have a, a, the insurance that you need to rebuild your home and to provide for your family, and that we will be there for that emergency phase and to help you, help you get through that, those first steps of your recovery as you, uh, as you make your plan for, for, uh, for further recovery. Um, and last question, and, and this is also, I'm sure, above your pay grade, but, you know, we live in a world where, you know, very complicated things are made simple through programs and apps. And can you imagine a future where FEMA has some sort of an app where it just streamlines everything in a way that, that makes it easier? Because, I mean, it's almost like you have to be a disaster expert in order to navigate the process. I mean, you know, we have a reporter that works with us, and he's He's a reporter. He's good at dealing with information, and he just feels like he's kind of lost in the weeds. Can you imagine a streamlined system in the future that just makes this simpler for people? Uh, that's an excellent question, and that is something that we are working on in streamlining the process and making it easier for people. You're exactly right, and, uh, and, and we are trying to do that, and there have been a number of conversations about that and making it, making, uh, making it easier to register and to get through the process or at least tell you what the next step is. 
So, um, yes, that is an excellent question, and uh, and I, we're, we're hoping that we can do that also. All right. Uh, any final questions, uh, yeah, Eileen? And, and one more thing, because, um, you know, as we go forward next year, year after, people are going to notice um, considerably higher insurance premiums, um, you know, particularly also for flood insurance. What what advice do you have to people that are right now, if, if their homes were not impacted and, and they're underinsured, what kind of advice do you have for them? Because, again, I think people think that FEMA comes in and gives well beyond the $37,000. So any, any sort of advice to people for mm-hmm. lessons learned for them if they weren't impacted or, you know, what they should do in the future? If, 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 if it's coming the down to... There's, there's some incentives with insurance to be able to lower your insurance and make, by making your home stronger and being more prepared. Take advantage of those things. And, and again, understand that where, how vulnerable your home is in its location and how vulnerable that you are also. All right. Well, that is all the time, but I want to thank my guest. Keith Denning is a Deputy Federal Coordinating Officer with FEMA. Mr. Denning, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Appreciate you having us on. Thanks also to Eileen Kelly. She's an investigative reporter here at WGCU. And just to clarify something we mentioned earlier, the deadline for businesses to return economic injury applications to the SBA is June 29th of this year. To hear our full conversation, go to our website, wgcu.org gcl. There you can also find links to information about applying and the locations of disaster assistance recovery centers that are still open. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by Eileen Kelly and myself. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.